Why graffiti firstly appears in places and spaces in urban environments that it does? What are the reasons for that? They did not want the photos of the basements that we're taken to be used anywhere. These marginalized spaces in cities that are just as we reference like flyovers or um, you know, underutilised or underutilised, un unloved spaces. Welcome to episode 67 of Toy Division. This episode is with a long-term good friend who did his uni research project in relation to graffiti in Bristol, which is a city in the southwest of England. As you can probably tell, I'm still recording on not the best mic setup, but that's because I'm still sitting in limbo, waiting to move to the wonderful state of Victoria during this lockdown. As you may have noticed on the Instagram, which is Toy Division 2, so anyone that's following the old one, stop following that, it's dead. Follow Toy Division number two on Instagram. If you've been following that, you may have noticed that I've been asking for photos of pieces on slam doors. So from people all over the world, they might not realize what that is. It's a type of now out of service UK train. All the profits from the magazine, which is where the, the photos will be going to, will be going towards getting their graffiti art therapy service off the ground. Anyone that bought a t-shirt, that money, we raised about $400, $500 on top of the cost of making the t-shirts. That's all sitting there. I haven't gone out and blown it on God knows what. So yeah, it's all sitting there and I'm hoping to get the service off the ground ASAP once I can move to Melbourne. Anyway, enough of my gibberish. Please enjoy. This episode is with a friend who's not actually a writer, but before you switch off the podcast, he has an insight into graffiti and... Well, how would you describe it? And I'm going to call you 2D. So 2D, how would you describe what we're going to talk about today? Yeah, man. Thanks, dude, uh, mate. And thanks for having us uh, on board, man. It's, um, mate, it's nice to join you, man. Been enjoying your podcasts um, over the weeks and months. So big ups, man. Um, just to give a bit of context before we dive in, at the moment, this is the end of July 2021, and we are in lockup, lock off. So that's why Locked we're doing down. This. Yeah, that's why we're doing this using not my normal setup, but I think the content is more important than the audio. So anyway, I interrupted you. So what what is the subject yeah, we're going to talk about today? Yeah, man. Thanks, dude. So, mate. Yeah, it's really nice to be asked to talk a little bit about where my love of graffiti originally came from and then i suppose beyond my initial love of graffiti in my slightly younger years is how i then started to consider how graffiti um interwove itself with the studies i was doing at uni in bristol like 10 well, no, more than that, actually. I'm, I'm older than that. I forget that. But let's say 15 <laughs> years ago. And I did an urban geography degree and always had a huge interest in how cities are shaped and how cities change through time and how humans and their interactions can shape the changing face of a city. And as I moved to Bristol and met you, my man. Um, I, I don't think I use your real name in this instance, do I? I can, always, I just be, I can always beep it out. Um, I was okay. going to say, I think the first time we ever met, unless I'm, you know, it's like, yeah, remember that time I met, yeah? And they probably super fucking drunk and high at the time. So, yeah, I can remember it Definitely. so clearly, yeah? But yeah. I'm pretty sure it was at that pub in... In Bristol. In Bristol. In, in, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember the name. The place of near now, Frenix. Yeah, near Frenix and near mine. So it was like a, a, an equidistant space between mine, not too far from yours at the time either. Yeah. 
and our good mate Frenick, hold tight, Frenick. Um, to Frenick, whose music will be playing in the background right now, most likely. Always, always um, representing. Because I was going to yeah, say man. that that time we met, you actually mm. told me. I think somehow graffiti came up in the conversation in that first time we ever met. Mm. And bear in mind, people that are listening to this, this was Bristol in. Fuck 2000s, hell. 2004. Shit, me. Yeah, I know. Um, and you We're actually said, I'm doing my dissertation on graffiti yeah. and the urban landscape. And mm. from then on, we fucking hated each other. No, we've been mates. Yeah. <laughs> we literally just wanted to end each other yeah. with guns and knives yeah. um, over many, many years. But yeah, no, exactly that, man. <laughs> so the title, as I got more and more into. Um, my course, which I really, really bloody enjoyed, actually. Um, I had some really cool academics and, and quite inspiring people and, and young academics who are our professors or tutors, and they encouraged all of us to, to consider um, urban regeneration and the changing place and space of cities in terms of what it means to you. And you and I... Oh, sorry, I said your name. I get a bit. Don't uh, worry, Mr. mate. Mr. TD, yeah. Call me, Miss, call, Miss, call me Mr. TD, yeah. Call me Mr. TD, yeah. Um, so Mr. TD and I, you know, we became Hi, such good mates and it was all around hip-hop culture. We were going to gigs twice a week at least, you know. Well, actually probably three times because we'd do Tuesday nights, Bar Latino, Clear Cup, whole type Fonzie representing Shout and the Clear Cup the crew back crew. in the day. And that was just pure hip-hop love and just the love of beats. And, man, we'd have MCs there and we'd have ciphers. Man, they were good times. They were good times. Anyway, I digress. The tutors, going back to the academics, the tutors were very encouraging of us, you know, referencing what we love and what the city means to you. And for me at that time, it was that interesting and intriguing place and space of how cities change visually so quickly, metropolitan cities with graffiti artists, and how these guys and girls can play such an interesting and illicit role. Obviously, most of it was not on legal walls. Most of the stuff that really intrigued me, I mean, I like the legal walls too, but like was those spots... Mr. TD, you know, like coming over the M32 flyover, you know, you remember that would just change up all the time. Anyway, so this changing place and space of how graffiti can influence that visually and what what these spaces mean in terms of in terms of attracting graffiti writers. So I then started to explore why graffiti appears in places and spaces that they do and what's the reasons um and that was a really interesting exploration mr td and you know we started to explore you know these marginalized spaces in cities that are just as we reference like flyovers or um you know, underutilised or underutilised unloved spaces that may be a transitional space between a housing um, development and a, you know, a subway or a laneway and how these places lend themselves to, you know, being being bombed and, and being smashed by graffiti writers. And it was, and I was always drawn to those tucked away dark sort of spaces and and it's always and still to this day really fascinates me don't know why maybe i'm a sad bastard but still fascinates me to this day i actually went and so if anyone can hear this recording there is some background noise just to give a bit of context we are in a lockdown in a friend's house so man's in lockdown we're in lock off um (laughs) i actually went yesterday so because of all the restrictions and stuff we've got at the moment, I went for a long walk in this area of Sydney, so the outskirts mm. of Sydney. And I, one of the things I really like doing is going for long walks in places that are quite scenic, but also then, obviously, on top of that, finding places where 
graffiti exists. Mm. And I found some really, basically a flyover going over, well, no, it's like a, the, the M5 motorway in Sydney going over the river. Yeah. And this spot I've never seen before, lived quite close for years. Mm. And it's just this, re- it's tons of pillars. I'll actually send you some photos. Yeah. And I was just thinking, 2D would love this. It's oh. like you go for a nice stroll and it's super secluded as well. So it's like green. There's a river by there. And, and then just there's these pillars and it's just like pieces, pieces, throw ups. Yeah, pieces. dope. And I completely agree with you because I have I often have had a fascination in, you know, what maybe gets called here, abandos, you know, like abandoned buildings. But then they yeah. almost get not taken over as such, but then that space which the wider society is kind of just disposed of becomes a space for people to actually express themselves through painting. Now, I don't know if you've seen any stuff. Have you seen any photos recently from what Bristol um, is like in terms of graffiti at the moment? Man, all I've really seen is the Dana. Um, It is. I'm just, shout out to everyone. I know there's people who live in Bristol that listen to this. It is hammered. Wow. Like, it was bombed when we lived there. Yeah. But I'm talking, like, I'll, I'll, send, I'll, show, I'll send you some flicks. It's like, I, because I, I guess as, you know, just as we were moving, well, probably when you were relocating to when you moved out of Bristol, I don't know if you remember, there was that real push of the Stokescroft sort of stuff. And mm. there was a lot of pushing of the street art and graffiti kind of being entangled in that. But the photos I've seen and the photos that people have sent me and what it looks like, it's like pieces with throw-ups above it, which then more throw-ups above that and then like yeah. giant roller pieces above that. Mad. And a friend described it the other day, it's like almost like it's turned into a free-for-all. Because, you know, there was wow. the tolerated spots, maybe Dean Lane, Skate Park, yeah. um, the M32 Tesco flyover bit. Mate, that flyover, mm. that and, flyover was nuts. And there was, and then also what the other spots um, that were there when we were there. So the M32, yeah, Dean Lane. There was just so many little ones, wasn't there, like dotted around. Yeah. But then yeah. there's been this, expl- and it's almost like spilled. Mm. And last time I went there, it was pretty pretty crazy. But mm. like when, you, when you moved to Bristol, and thanks for explaining your so that was your dissertation in graduate degree yeah so people that don't that is a dissertation is your final project pretty much to consolidate a lot of your learning and a lot of the it's basically just trying to be an academic really it's it's like we we want to we've fed you all this shit for the last three or four years depending on how long your undergrad is and now we want you to turn that into something intelligent yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. It's like, all right, you've been a spotty spod kid for the <laughs> last three years, basically just pretty much going on mad benders four nights a week and then occasionally spilling into uni. And, yeah, the last year was interesting because they're like, yeah, you've now got to, from what you recollect, and if you remember anything we've taught you, we now want you to put it into this thesis. So, yeah, the title of my dissertation was The Geographies of Graffiti, uh, an investigation into the why, what and where in Bristol City. And Do you, you know, have a digital I, copy of that? Uh, man, do you know, I, I thought you might ask me that, and I do, but, <laughs> mate, old school, I reckon it's on... I literally reckon it's on a floppy disk um, because we're talking 2003. But I've definitely, and I would, because I'm, I'm proud of that work, you know, I put, mm. put hours and hours of research into it and, you know, referencing academic studies. Because mm-hmm. uh, um, I, I just, I, I was going to say, I know we've been friends and we've, been, we've remained friends for a long time. And then I was just, because I was thinking about this the other day and I was thinking, why have I never read his dissertation? Because I would yeah. probably find it fucking fascinating. And, you know, I know yeah. what you mean. You, like, you write your dissertation, put all that effort in, and then it gets marked and it's like just lost in the ether. 
That's right, exactly. So if, you can, so, if you can eventually find a copy, send it to yeah. me. I, was no, gonna... I, will. Dude, I will, and it's nice to, I'd actually quite like to revisit it anyway, because it takes me back to a time, you know, not to sound like an old bastard, but <laughs> when, I don't know about you, Mr. TD, Mr. TD, yeah, but when I think back of my years in Bristol, man, it's just happy, fond, memories of us being younger and man the hip-hop culture in the uk was huge there the, the hip-hop scene was massive you know it's sort of changed a lot now not to say that it's well you know i'm not trying to sound um old in school, my old. day yeah no back in my day but um no i'd love to dig it up man definitely love to dig it up and i remember mr td you know i focused on what i called graffiti hotspots, which is a pretty obvious way to talk about where and why's around Bristol. And I can remember, I can certainly remember three of the hotspots. You you know all of these spots. Number one, the Dina, Dean Lane Skate Park. There's not, Just, Dina, was it, I've heard people say, there's nothing meaner. Dina, there's, no, there's nothing, nothing meaner. I've seen some pretty wild shit at that skate park. Because it yeah. is, it is, no, so people that are wondering what we're talking about, Bristol is a city in the southwest, southwest of England, which is, and it's very close to the border of Wales, which is mm. connected to the UK. And to contextualise it, Bristol was, or it was very much because it's by um, a port. Was it a port? It's by, it was by a river, so it was a port. So it was a previously very industrial part yeah. of the southwest of England and it was heavily yeah. bombed during the Second World War. Slave trade. Yeah, lovely claim to fame. Yeah. Yeah. Remember when we used to go to a lot of those nightclubs that were like literally we thought they were the coolest because you'd go in the main door and then go down a set of stairs. Like there was like the tunnel, the tube. Um Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was it the tube? Was what it was the other the one called? Fucking uh, oh mate, um, uh, well we used to do clear cut there with with Fonzie. Um, well, that was Barletino. You used to go you down into go the cabins. In a, yeah, you go down. Yeah. You go down, and I thought, oh, this is fucking. This place is literally underground. Yeah. And then you come to then realise that the reason for that was because it was a massive place where people during the slave trade would then be dropped yeah. off. They would then not want them because it wasn't seen as like a nice thing to see the slaves on the streets. Mm. So they used to literally get them off the boats and straight into a set of tunnels, which goes underneath the city. And those clubs is where they, the, the slaves would just be held until they were then sold. Yeah, that's it. That's so it. That is a, that is a... It's pretty dark. Yeah. It's incre incredibly dark. I mean, they were actually also quite dark places and spaces, but and did, uh, I don't know yeah. if you ever, I don't know if you ever had this, but as soon as I found that out, I then found this is probably fucking paranoia. But I'd be in the, you know, we used to go and like help set up like nights and stuff, and it would be like before yeah. the night had started. Yeah, and I remember being in some of those places and feeling like I knew I was like one of only one or two people in there, but really feeling like. You're being watched. Something's, yeah. May have been the massive lines of coke that I was doing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and let's be honest, the only reason we would turn up early is because you'd probably get a couple of free red stripes out and of you coming get early. Free. Yeah, you get it's you get, like, uh, yeah. you're a mate, I'll come and help you. Uh, <laughs> and it's like, mate, if you can sort me a couple of free beers, right? And that would literally be the best thing and come the and best help start us set to your up. Or be on the door for like nine hours, and um, we'll yeah. give you we'll give you one red stripe. <laughs> yeah, and, and a um, and a balloon, a balloon, yeah, double balloon. A, at some a balloon or two. That someone will pop with a cigarette because they think it's hilarious. Anyway, yeah. we're going off track. Yeah, yeah, we digress. We digress. But you know, graffiti hotspots. So you said you mentioned the Dean. Yeah. So the reason so I was going to say that is Dean Lane is a skate park. That is at the back of some is at back of a swimming pool. I've actually gone yeah. swimming in that place. Yeah, is, I never have, never did. Um, and it's actually on an area of Bristol called. It's in an area of Bristol called Bedminster. Mm. Now Bedminster is traditionally a working class area. Now, yeah, 
Bristol, to be honest, I think, you know, and the reason I want to mention this is it's changed a hell of a lot since mm. we first moved there. But anyway, we'll discuss that in a bit. So there was Dean Lane. Yeah. Where else? There was the M32 flyover, which we mentioned earlier, which I, I suppose for those who, who haven't visited Bristol, we've got uh, a pretty large motorway coming into the city, the M32, and underneath the M32 road itself, there was a big storm drain. You'll remember that storm canal, uh, Mr. Don't TD. Fall in that, don't fall in that water. Don't fall in that, because you will come out with AIDS <laughs> um, or, or, or something uh, something, more something more politically correct. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, not to say that AIDS is, yeah. Anyway, I'll move <laughs> on. Uh, <laughs> before I dig a hole for myself. Um, but underneath there, and that was the interesting thing from an urban geography and mm. a urban landscape perspective is and context is that these big, hard engineering um um, infrastructures provide the perfect blank canvas just for creatives. Just to contextualise yeah. for people, so often people think of underneath a motorway, maybe like pillars. So if you could imagine like a pillar going down to the ground and they can be kind of, if you can imagine kind of like a long shape coming down and then to the ground. But because of the water, the actual part of that was, there wasn't the, there was pillars, but they weren't as, um, kind of, they again, because I'm trying to explain, because maybe I'm going too deeply into this, I'm getting spot sick, um, but then on either side, <laughs> if people can imagine, there's like a four-lane, probably a six-lane motorway overhead, and then on either side, running, there's flat walls that yeah. run all the way down to the other end of the, because then the motorway goes in, doesn't it? And it goes over like an area. And it's basically, because they put they basically put a six lane motorway going in and out of a city centre. That's right. That's right. And and it's these, it's these heavy pieces of engineering and infrastructure mm. all around the world that will remain focused. But these engineering pieces and infrastructures often provide for these beautiful opportunities for writers to come in and my hypotheses or, or belief um, and philosophy in this paper was that these graffiti writers are beautifying and creating visual interest in an otherwise grey and monotonous landscape. And the yeah, look, the uni that we that I studied at, like the the, the professor, he got it, he understood it, he he sort of encouraged this. He said, look, I can see what your point is because what do these grey structures represent? Yeah, look, the triumph of man and, you know, the triumph of engineering. But boy, oh boy, it doesn't really ever, engineering doesn't typically uh, consider art and creativity. It's more form and function. So, you know, these these marginal spaces that appear in and around these sort of infrastructures that just provides this blank canvas. So anyway, just, I know we're, because it's easy to, to go down the rabbit hole, but so that was number two, was the M32 flyover. Yeah. Number three, Mr. TD. And do you know, man, it's, it's embarrassing to say, but I don't know if this structure still exists. I don't know if it's been demolished or I don't know if it's been redeveloped, but down at Stokes Croft, Westmoreland House, you remember that? The big abandoned place. Yeah. I think that's now been demolished and is being redeveloped because yeah, shit. that place must be worth oh. so fucking much yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. And do you remember there was, I mean, you could see the pieces of Westmoreland House and all the Bristol mm. crew that are listening to this will know this building. You could see it had this just like incredibly um, inviting for some, you know, it had the skeleton of the building still there. Everything else had been gutted. But do you remember, Mr. TD, the skeleton of the stairwells yeah. that used to run down the side of the building and you could see it basically i mean you could get in there 
and like that had just been bombed to pieces. So to say that what the great thing was was that, and again, Bristol is a very, let's say it's a hilly city. Yeah, it is. So it's very hilly, and there were spots on the top of that where you could see them from kilometers away. Like I remember yeah. standing in Cottom and looking down at that building. And I'm pretty sure, I'm trying to remember, I think there was a Freedom thing rolled on yeah. there. There was other things, because that place just got hammered. But then what I do remember when I first moved there, there was one spot which kept being taken and then retaken, taken and then retaken, which was actually reflecting two separate crews. Um, <laughs> so there was PM, R-O-P-C-K-1, so PM um, was one crew. Yeah, I remember PM. And CM with the other crew. Yeah, now they right. were taking and retaking that spot. Yeah. On off, on off, on it. Because that yeah. was like, you can see that from fucking. And these, we're not talking small pieces. We're talking like big, big. Big rollers. Yeah. Um, but now, last thing I saw, and this reflects the changes um, in those, in who's, I would probably say now, and I know that some people who know some of these people are and listen to this, but DBK, Dirty Bristol yeah. Kids, now they've taken that spot. Or it would that that was the lot. I, I guess it's still not it's not there anymore. But I remember messaging a friend saying it's good to see that the current kings of Bristol have really taken that spot because yeah. it was a DBK thing, and I was like, that's very apt. So that was Westmoreland House. So just to recap for people, because as always, I go off on tangents, but that's good because it doesn't... Hey, that's okay. Tell me about the spots. That sounds... <laughs> <good>. <laughs> the yeah. M32 flyover. Yeah. Big Lane Skate Park. Yeah. And um, there was another spot. There Westmoreland, was... Um, Westmoreland House. Westmoreland House. And I yeah. also added, and this is no longer, I know this because I was in Bristol maybe three years ago. I live in Australia now, much like yourself, Mr. TD. Um, but I was there three years ago, the Parcel Force building. Ah. Do you want to tell, that That would be a very interesting story. Do you want to tell yeah. the story? Because I wasn't with you that day, but... Yeah. Do you want to go through that story and shout out to the other guy that was with you? Big up to Luck, uh, not Luckstar. Dredvik. Big <laughs> shout out to Hold Dredvik. tight. Hold tight, Dredvik. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The one like the Dread Man. Um, yeah, and do you know what? Um, the story the story about Apostle Force building and what happened there yeah. on a particular day, I was actually there photographing for the dissertation. So it definitely is relevant. But look, Parcel Force Building was just next to Temple Mead Rail Station, and it was one of those beautiful, um, beautifully inviting um, urban decay buildings. And I've always been fascinated by urban decay as well. I think, you know, the love of urban decay and seeing cities change and broken window theory and that theory being that if a window is broken and it's not replaced or, or repaired in a short term, then guess what? Another window is broken and another window is broken. And the broken window theory talks to um, a dilapidation of um, an urban environment if it's not looked after by humans. Can I just and dive in? When, can I just dive in on that? Sorry, one of the mo yeah. one of the main reasons why graffiti is very much punished very harshly. Actually, come as you would have known. You kindly lent me that book, Taking the Train, um, which yeah. goes into great book. That actually, if anyone's actually interested in reading about quite interesting theoretical frameworks about graffiti check out taking the train which is a great book um, yeah joe austin i'll put i'll put this in the show notes joe austin yeah yeah it's a good shout that's a that's a real academic uh yeah reference guide because for graffiti the, the broken windows theory is something which is often has been has basically been a common sociological framework to then punish graffiti very harshly because again it was that whole thing about if you let the people if you don't fix the broken windows so if you don't clean up graffiti then people will think it's lawless and then often it's cited as like the reason why it needs to be punished very harshly but anyway sorry i keep interrupting you go ahead 
Nah, 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 man. It's good. It's good. So, mate, I'm enjoying it. But, um, yeah, so I think I went on a, off on a slight tangent too. Um, and I was talking about parcel force building. But, yeah, it was one of those classic dilapidated, unoccupied buildings that as decay had occurred, you know, broken windows occur, vandalism occurs. And as soon as there is an opportunity, I mean, Mr. TD, you know better than me, but I was often keen and in and around these places and spaces taking photographs anyway. Um, you know, it then provided the perfect, again, blank canvas for, for writers to come in and beautify and create art in these spaces that were just marginalized and loved. So yeah, the Puzzle Force building, I, and we did break in, we did break in because security fencing was up, uh, but me and, me and Dredvik, had broken in, you know, like it was pretty easy to get in. It wasn't hard. I had my camera, uh, Dredvik had his camera and we got into the basement of this building and this is an old male logistics building. So it was massive. It was, you know, probably a hectare site, which is 10,000 square meters of land. So it's a big, big area. We got into the basement of it and it was, it was, it felt dodgy. Anyway, we got into the basement and we came across something that didn't quite seem right. There was a setup, huge banks of um, uh, what you would call probably construction or, or, or um, uh, part-time lighting solutions down there. And I said to Dredvik, mate, this is, something's going on here. I think we should get out of here. Why? I felt like, you know, there was something, something untoward going on with, you know, maybe people using the place and space to hide things, stuff, I don't know. Anyway, we were coming out the basement. What do we know? We got effectively accosted by two guys from, I can only say, uh, a, a European, a Eastern European descent, pretty angry with us. Uh, um, could see we'd been in the basement, saw that we had our cameras, stole our cameras immediately, and started basically getting, you know, in our faces and, you know, trying to tell us to get out of here. But one of them, you know, we're trying to get our cameras back off these guys. In short, we managed to, I, I had a phone or Dredvik had a phone. We called the police, funnily enough, given that we'd broken into a building. But the police turned up and um, there was an altercation. And the police actually, in this instance, mate, they were awesome. They're like, look, um, we can see you're in trouble. Get out, boys, you go. And then they, because oh, we said to them, something's happening in the basement. Look, I don't know what it was, and I don't mm -hmm. want to speculate too heavily, but it looked like a criminal operation of some kind. And we then got escorted out by the police um, on our bikes. And I remember, you know, these two European blokes, I don't know where, what they were protecting, or maybe, but, you know, they did not want the photos of the basements that we'd taken to be used anywhere. So it was a really interesting event. And we went to the pub and just smashed a load of beers to calm, calm our nerves. Because it was a weird... Do you still have those? Do you still have those? Photos? I reckon I do have those photos somewhere. Yeah. And the Parcel Force building was just, you know, that was smashed. You'd see it as you came in on the train from Reading, yeah, yeah or any of those trains you coming from the east into the into Bristol, and that was an awesome sense of arrival with that urban decay there. So yeah, that was an interest. So it's those four spots: M32 flyover, Bedmo, um, Westmoreland House, and Passports. Of course, there were more spots, Mister TD, but they were places you and I would go to. Um, man, I remember going to the M32 flyover with you. We hadn't slept. It was about 7 a.m. We'd been up on an all-nighter, and I had the camera. You were doing some pieces or did a piece. I thought it was a good idea to drive. Huh? 
I thought it was a good idea to drive. <laughs> That's it. You drove. Oh, Jesus. Um, Jesus, how did we not die? I don't know. We're still alive. Let's go, yeah, let, I'll tell you what. I haven't been asleep all night. Probably off my face. I'm going to get in a car and drive. Listen to him and then go and really paint. loud. And then, really yeah. loudly. Probably smoking a spliff out the window. Yeah, probably. And anything. I actually do have a photo of that piece. Do you? Yeah, I've got a photo. Well, in my in my photo collection, I do have a photo of that piece. Yes. And it says it says your name yeah, and the other neat. person's name who was with us in it. Who else was with us? Actually, says your, it says your real name, Dredvik. Was Dredvik with us? Yeah. Hold tight, Dredvik. Hold tight, Dredvik. Chairman of the cannabis <laughs> community in Bristol. <laughs> ahead, ahead of the THC versus CBD debate. Yeah, 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 that's um, all right. Shout out to Dredvik. Um, so, okay, so really interesting. And the thing is, is that you would, I think what really stuck out with, to me when you just described it was your um, professor or the person that was giving you all the advice was yeah. like, find something that's meaningful to then actually really bring about that meaningful engagement in your academic task because i tell you what once it's actually of meaning and you find it of interest it's like yeah. off to the races i think <laughs> i did my dissertation on like occupation is occupational therapy beneficial for people experiencing mental health problems in a mental health hospital mm-hmm. setting and i obviously find that interesting Mm. But it's probably not as interesting as something to do with graffiti. I probably could, if I wasn't re- like burnt out and mentally ill by the time I finished uni, mm. I probably should have really thought about it and done something to do with graffiti, really, shouldn't I? Yeah, anyway. but, but mate, yeah, you know. Uh, Maybe that's when, when I was still in denial. I was like, I'm not doing this shit anymore. Yeah, I'm not around, yeah. yeah. I'm not around. Now you've come to terms, um, Mr. TD. You're embracing it. Yeah. Now I'm embracing it. And doing a podcast on it. Yeah. So what did you, in the process of doing this dissertation, because obviously you had an an awareness of what graffiti was, what did you learn on top of your pre-existing information? Because again, without being insulting you, you're coming out as an insider. And graffiti can be a very insular um, kind of culture and yeah we're talking 15 issue there was no fucking instagram there was no i mean i don't even think it was Flickr at that point there was probably a few websites and you were literally seeing graffiti again being a hip-hop head because you're a very skilled scratch dj and also a great freestyle i'll take the first one i don't know about the second one but uh... well i didn't say you're an amazing mc i just said you're a very um you're a very motivated uh, cipher partner I'm a very, at any time. I'm, I'm a very enthusiastic cipher partner, aren't I? Especially- oh, do you? The amount of Ubers we've got, and you'd be like, "Yo, driver, do you like hip hop?" And they're like, "Ah, uh, I like, don't know." And you're no, like, I like classical bam. music and rock and easy listening rock." And I'm like, "Cool, oh, all right." So, put all right, put on a fucking put instrumental on. You put this DJ Premier instrumental on and you're like, yo, and you say my real name, let's go. And I'm just like, oh. and you're like, yeah, fuck, oi, mate, do you want to come in for a beer and a line? Yeah, anyway. and that's um, it's funny you say that. We used to invite the Uber, or they wasn't even Uber back in the day, it was the cab drivers. We literally used to invite them in. Some of them would, some of them would stay for two hours and have beers with us and then just get back in the car driving people around cities. Um, but yeah. If you're asking me what what you know the conclusions what did you learn? Were, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was a uh, a context that I wanted to um, uh, that I wanted to establish at the beginning of the paper, which is this investigation is is an investigation into why graffiti firstly appears in places and spaces in urban environments that it does. What are the reasons for that? And those reasons, the, as the first part, come down to look low levels of surveillance. I always come back to that reference of marginalised spaces. And it's a really interesting concept because a marginalised space can sort of be described as, even you describe them in your walks in Sydney, it's that place that's neither public nor private, um, but is open to 
you know, I suppose human interaction and humans coming and utilizing them for whatever it may be. I mean, it could be dogging for all we know, right? But these are these places that are neither, as I say, public or private, but they're open to use. So, you know, there was an easy conclusion there that low levels of surveillance, you know, heavy engineering, infrastructure, um, and, you know, the built environment provides for that blank canvas. But the most prominent or passionate conclusion I really drew was that these graffiti artists that are so simplistically um, typified, i.e. pinpointed or uh, considered as a, a stereotype vandal, well, guess what? That couldn't be further from the truth. These guys and girls are quite the opposite. They are beautifying and creating just that creativity, brightness, colour, and signs of human life in places and spaces that were lacking it in a massive way. And my argument was graffiti, when done and given the parameters to be done properly, makes a huge difference to people's daily lives because it breathes life and positivity and art into something that hasn't got that in the first instance. And the conclusions, I think, made sense. You know, people could see when I picked up M32, um, Bedmo, Westmoreland House, mate, these places were, were fucked, basically. There was nothing there. Was, there was drug use. There was homelessness. But these places were breathing art and creativity. And, you know, if councils and local governments embrace it in the right framework, then graffiti has a huge benefit to people that don't write graffiti. And they may not realise it as they walk past it, but it's actually brightening, lifting and inspiring your day. So, yeah, that was sort of the main conclusions. I, I still believe that, man. I'm, you know, I love graffiti and what it, what it does to cities. And, you know... I know for writers particularly, legal versus illegal walls is a big, a big sort of, you know, talking point. And some writers will be, you know, of one opinion that, you know, legal walls, it isn't graffiti. I don't know what you personally think, Mr. TD. We probably haven't talked about it in a while, but just graffiti has this power to lift. And I, I still... You know, I'm looking on my wall now. I've got that beautiful piece that I bought off you framed up. Um, you know, and it still is a big part of, yeah, what I love in terms of my love of hip-hop culture, for sure. Bloody hell, that was good. <laughs> I, I, I mean, the thing is, is that there is so, like you're saying, not just debate between writers, but debate, between parts of society because the problem is is that there's so much how can i put it graffiti is seen as something dirty yeah this is the thing it's seen as something and you're right that urban decay is often seen as disgusting yeah. but actually there is that beauty in that ugliness oh, um, have you ever heard of the japanese concept of wabasabi no um, it's the concept of beauty in imperfection. Yeah. And that is something which, shout out to the Graffiti Machine podcast. I first heard about Wabasabi um, on the Graffiti Machine podcast. Mm. And they were talking about how, because the, the context of that was that people often want their graffiti to look almost like perfect. Mm -hmm. And there's this thing of everything needing to be, in inverted commas, clean. Yeah. Like, oh, it's sharp, it's clean. Mm. But there's actually a lot of beauty in, like, when I think about graffiti, the aesthetics of, you know, a really big fat cat tag yeah. or, like, a piece that's been done super quick. It's not got cutbacks. It's not got a background. It's not got a character. It's literally... Or, and I know this, the people, obviously, um, who are doing this wouldn't be happy with it, but I actually really like seeing unfinished pieces mm. because I'm like... What happened? Yeah, sure. 
And that way that you've described how people may not even necessarily notice it, but it changes that drudgery. It changes that feeling of like, because again, our environment, we are from all of our evolution as humans, we evolved in these beautiful landscapes that were very natural. And the last few hundred years, we've begun living in what I would describe, and I didn't make this term up, but like a human zoo. We literally live in like a concrete, sharp, hard-surfaced, glass, steel, all the things which we associate with the industrial architecture and industrial progress. Mm -hmm. But then actually they are actually quite oppressive for us mentally, emotionally and socially because they are so grey and just like grim. And then when people add colour to it, I guess the thing is, is that with everything, this is why I love talking about graffiti, yeah. especially with people that aren't necessarily writers, but do get it. Yeah. Because it's like people see it as urban blight and vandalism. But the reason why, and this is why I explain to people, the reason why some spaces just have tags, throw-ups. And I, you know, I'm a fan of tags and throw-ups. I am not upset to admit that. I mean, if a writer doesn't like tags, don't... I'm going to go out on a limb here. I don't really think they're a real writer. Mm. So that is a very controversial... No, it's not controversial. Fuck it. <laughs> if you don't like tags and you're a writer, then you're not really a writer. And if you've got a problem with that, direct message me and I'll, I'll knock you out. Anyway, and the, 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 the debate and the confusion, but like I was saying, these spaces where, you know, I say, let's talk about a Sydney trackside, right? They normally buff, a.k.a erase stuff in Sydney, normally with like a brown, because brown is cheap. It's a brown paint. Yeah, why is it always go brown? Over a piece. It is, isn't it's it? It's cheap. No one wants to buy brown paint. Yeah, really. they must be making um, shitloads of it because there's a lot of it on those well, tracks. Well, I tell you what, I, I tell you what, some lines though, and this is where the, the, the mega train nerds will go, yes, yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah, um, yeah. The T8 line, which I believe is the airport line, yeah. um, actually is painted green, past Walleye Creek. Ah. So all the sound barriers yeah. are green. Mad. And I heard a story from a good friend who said that when they were first building those, he's been a writer for a fair while, so he can remember when they were actually building those sound barriers yeah. next to the T8 line being extended past Walleye Creek. Mm. And one night they were walking tracks and they found a, <laughs> uh, probably like a, a place where they were storing hundreds of tubs of that colour paint. No way. In preparation for and they stole a shitload <laughs> of them. And that's what I love about writers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they'll be like, ah, oh, we've got tons anyway. But yeah. long story short, if you think about that brown, shout out to that guy, I know he listens. Um, uh, the brown paint is because they erase it. Then people go, oh, it's just so ugly and all this scribbles. It's like, well, again, just because you can't read it doesn't mean it's a scribble. But yeah. People then say, oh, why don't they do colours and, you know, the characters and, you know, the typical thing that people like when they don't necessarily understand stylized letter writing yeah. in all its different forms. Yeah. That's because if you're gonna, if you're on a track side and you spend seven or eight, nine, ten, two nights, three nights doing a crazy production, interconnecting colours. I know some people do. Shout out to the people that are doing that in Sydney. There's a couple of writers on the main line mm. doing that mm. at the moment, which is really good to see. I saw a Sonic the Hedgehog production the other where day. was that like Sonic the Hedgehog. on the main line so when, what, what, down what you central. call the main line so from central um out towards the more rural sort of areas yeah. so that will go through like um Stratfield yeah. uh Penrith and then further out to places like Lithgow and stuff yeah, like that right and sorry if I haven't got that right. Any of the train nerds go, no, I you got the wrong bloody line. It's the tree sick. But that's uh, what, that is the that is the common the common uh, like the common argument is well it looks ugly and I don't get why they don't spend the time. But again, think about this: if they weren't buffing it, so in some cities they don't erase the graffiti, yeah. and do you know what that does? That encourages people to do more complex, advanced things mm. so then actually what they're trying to do is get rid of it because they think it's ugly but then by getting rid of it you know why would someone go and spend seven or eight hours doing something that's going to get buffed in like a day two days yeah. if you can just get a can of chrome 
a can of white and a can of black mm. and walk for like 10 kilometers down the tracks just doing hollow throw-ups and tags. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's an interesting point that actually, Mr. TD, I reckon that you're raising there in that... I've stolen that off someone else. I didn't come up with that. Idea. Yeah, but... So when someone said that to me, I was just like, fuck, yeah. Yeah, fuck. Damn, that's good. I mean, that makes sense because the nature from what I've seen and understand about writers is that constant desire to want to one-up better or improve on what is currently there. And that's what creates that beautiful evolution and growth, isn't it, of, you know, of skills and styles. And, yeah, it's a really interesting point, that actually, I think. And, yeah, what's been interesting, um, because I loosely work in project management in in development and seeing developments come up and and I work in some big-scale developments as a project manager. And what councils are now beginning, definitely the Europeans and North America too, is beginning to integrate um, graffiti... But, you know, they use the term street art or whatever it may be, integrating it into um, into the architecture. There's one writer, Mr. TD, that I remember, mm-hmm. and I'm sure you and I have talked about him, Danes, out of, I think he's from Denmark, and he's 3D letter forms, which were... Dame, D-A-I-M. Sorry, Dame. Oh, actually, no, that's pronounced Dime. Oh, what, like Dime Bar? Yeah. So, yeah, the amazing 3D. So he was one of the, um, him and Lumit, I believe, Lumit and Dime, uh, were the real, like, style masters to developing almost, like, futuristic yeah. sci-fi. They look like spaceships. Yeah, yeah, it's like the Death Star on acid, basically. <laughs> um, yeah, fully sick. And what I've seen and... and, and Actually, there's a good example in Melbourne, which I can tell you about. You'll know it, actually. But, yeah, is seeing the integration of graffiti into architecture. And that's sort of where my love of architecture, buildings mm. and graffiti all all collide. And I love it. And there's a, uh, there's a building in Melbourne, Mr. TD. You'll know this. I know you will. And they've integrated graffiti into the actual design and it's got the old um, New York Metro carriages on top of the building. Have you been that, there? I think that there is it is it a restaurant inside? It is. I think it's a burger bar or they're something. Actually, they're been. actually they're actually I've I've been there. That yeah. is just the mega nerd in me. They're yeah. not New York Metro. They are uh, the old Hitachi, I believe. Sorry to anyone it. who's in Melbourne. They're all, they're all yeah. Hitachi carriages on the roof. And you can see them from the street. Now, the person that created that, like, I actually went there on my birthday uh, with some so, mates. Oh, no, another mate's birthday. Shout out to that guy. Um, and the, yeah, because then that's actually the restaurant is the carriages. Like, the car- the, the restaurant bit you sit in is a carriage. It's it. I tell you what, mate. When we finally get to Melbourne, yeah. we'll be going there because it's yeah. fucking amazing. It's What's a it great called? View, but it's it's um. Is it Easy's? Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, um, and then you can tell it's a writer that's like a builder as well. Because then yeah. the downstairs bit, you go in there, and I'm not quite. I can't quite remember. But it's a long flight of stairs up to the top. But the downstairs bit has like tape there was like i think i swear it's like a vhs playing of like freight train graffiti and there's old like rail kind of stuff so you know the is it ballasts the big wooden bits in the but anyway it's basically any writer that hasn't been to there that's in melbourne Mm. what the fuck are you doing but one thing i would say to you the big the big debate is and you know you're talking about it being integrated into architecture and being integrated into property development and stuff one of the biggest problems is is that often graffiti writers are not involved in a lot of that i'm not saying that place that we're talking about the place with the trains on the top but a lot of the um property developments have worked out that graffiti is cool the advertising world has realized graffiti is cool sure what then happens is, is they 
um, steal and take elements of graffiti writing culture, yes. water it down, yes. and then present it as a nice, clean package. And I'm going to go out on a limb here. That's basically what street art is. Yeah. Now, I know street art is, is its own different thing, but in a lot of ways, it's like the younger, more good-looking brother of or cousin of graffiti that's got a new haircut, got a nice Ralph Lauren shirt, um, got a nice pair of trousers and put some deodorant on. Whereas graffiti is like the older, grubby, maybe he's got a Ralph Lauren polo hat. He likes wearing the teddy bear jumper. He's probably smoked a joint in the last 10 minutes or so. Got ink all over his hands. Mm. Is that just describing me? Um, <laughs> yeah, that sounds like you, TV. But then I'm thinking, as you're saying this, I'm like, fuck, maybe we can work together. And I didn't become this. You were like, yeah, I know this really like specialist street art and graffiti consultant that can consult. I'll be like, oh, uh, yeah, I've got to fly in from the UK. So I just wait for 24 hours. Um, and, and then I'll turn up. Oh, I'm really jet lagged. Yeah. Yeah. OK. And I'll charge like $30,000 a day for consulting. Yeah. And that's that's like we'll take that off air because someone else will steal that. Fucking exactly. Idea. Some, somebody's writing this down now and going. Fuck you! I'm on this. Yeah. Fuck you! Fuck you! That's that's right. See you. See you in. See you in one. See you in two days, yeah. Mr. TD. So to bring this to an end, then, because mm. I not I like to try and keep these episodes as close to an hour as possible. Because yeah. you know what it's like. Joe Rogan goes on for fucking. Two, yeah, and he's hours. a belly as well. Sorry to anybody that finds Joe sorry, Rogan. Sorry, Joe Rogan, if you're listening to this. Yeah, sorry, Rogan. I mean, it'd be quite cool if he was listening, but I still stand by my comment, Joe Rogan, you are a bell end. Yeah, hashtag Rogan is a dude. Yeah. Um, so in terms of then, so we've talked about, so let's just quickly go back through. So we've talked about your dissertation. We've talked about how you saw graffiti as almost like an evolution of urban environments. Yeah. We've talked about how empty spaces have then been almost commandeered by graffiti writers and graffiti artists, whatever term you're writers, um, to then turn it into their own spaces. But then things which are often forgotten by society then become these spaces and actually can become like a hub of creative expression. That's it. Which exist almost sitting in these little microcosms. Mm. And also how you've then um, developed in a lot of ways, you now see the urban our, uh, landscape in a way which reflects your because I know you're a big fan of architecture mm. and you love cityscapes and stuff mm. like that but you also really then appreciate the more raw and gritty elements of a city for sure and how that and how that relates to human development and human progress mm. as the world changes yeah so I think I summed that up pretty intelligently mm. now one thing I would just like to finish on in terms of then, because I want to give some people some shout outs, when you were doing that dissertation in Bristol, is there any writers or any names or any words that you can remember? I know it's a long time ago, but can you remember anything that just popped up and you're like, fuck yeah, these people are so... Oh man, for sure. Now, um, you know, Freedom was coming up at that stage. Like he was, he was... Shout out to Freedom. Yeah, shout out, man. Um, it's been a long time since I would have seen Freedom master at a party, uh, respectively master at a party. Um, but in that day, Mr. TD, TCF crew, of course. Amazing. Yeah. Which was Paris, Zen's, Dicey. Um, who else? Paris, Zen's, Dicey. They're the only three of that crew, but TCF crew were just like, to me, Zimmel, Zimmel as well. Yeah, those guys, and I think a lot of them came down from sort of you know the mid parts of the country, like Hull and Manchester, and anyway, all, all. Yeah, you're actually yeah. Well, am I right? Yeah. right? Jesus Christ, I don't know how I remember that. But TCF, <laughs> and then you know, um, we also talked to Santanos. Um, I'm trying to think, you know, Dems, Zimmel, um, uh, yeah, do you remember Santanos? Yes, also another person who was definitely up at that period of time, Hacker. Yeah, Hacker. Si Siren. Yeah, Siren was unbelievably dope, and I remember meeting Siren as a very enthusiastic young man, 
um, probably <laughs> full of bloody booze and whatnot, and just being like, oh my God, this guy is king. This guy is, is full king um, of Bristol City. Um, so definitely those guys, I remember. And then, you know, as you referenced, so CK1 was just like bombing the city, all city, everywhere. And it's like, how the fuck are they getting around? Is CK1 getting around everywhere? Um, but yeah, I suppose that's a couple of names that I remember. There would be more Mr. TD if you were to say them. Um, but definitely for me... I think me- at, the time, at the time, there were so many people to remember. And even now, there's so many people. But other people that stand out to me from that period of time, and sorry if anyone's listening to this and then haven't... No kids are shout but, out. Like, Fuck. Yeah, the That's names that shout. stood out to me, the names that stood out to me was Kush, mm-hmm. Oleg, Oleg, Song, um, all of um, PM, which then kind of transitioned to TMP, um, I'm oh, sorry, TNP, just got the wrong crew, the wrong letters. CM, so there was Dems, yeah. Dows. Yeah. Uh, fuck, who was the other person? Fuck. I remember there was, there's just too many to remember. I know. Yeah, and then, yeah, reminiscing. And there, there was just so many names popping up, and it was, it was pretty bombed. I also then remember there was someone from ATG, Panic, had a little period of time doing all the spots everyone wanted to do. Yeah. Uh, there was people like... Visa, Young, um, as I said, Hacker, just, yeah, just so many names to remember. And I think Bristol now has become this real melting pot of writers from across the UK. And I think there were great times. And I remember moving there thinking I was quite an established writer. I was like, yeah, I've done fucking trains. Yeah, I got this year. Done trains in that year, and I've done like 20 trains. I'm fucking king, yeah. And that really aggressive mindset. Yeah. And then I moved somewhere, and it was okay, there was still that aggressive mindset, but still, there were so many cool people that I met. So, yeah. shout out to anyone that's in Bristol, from Bristol, um, and anyone that can remember those times because Bristol has changed a hell of a lot. Oh, man. So, yeah, you made just talking about Bristol. Mr. TD, I tell you what, such love for that city. Happy memories. Um, I will, I still see myself spending more years there for sure. Mm. I think it will definitely happen. You know, I'm 37 now um, and been in Australia for like eight years now, but I still see Bristol as a place and space where I will go back. And um, we've got so many connections there, haven't we, Mr. TD, which is part of that. And everybody is so passionate about their crafts, their bit, the bit, the musicians, the artists, the writers, you know, the fashion, you know, if we think of Lou and Food and where that's come from, um, you know, fashion is a bit of a wide term, but, you know, Lou, I suppose, is, you know, fashion and food clothing. Um, it's just a creative city. And, yeah, look, um, I've probably said enough, but, yeah, man, love it, <laughs> love it. That brings, that, brings us to, it. That, brings us to, that brings us to a good um, conclusion point. And thanks so much, because I guess the thing is, like you're saying, you put a lot of energy, and that's the thing about you is I've always said, there's no one I know with more energy and motivation for things and for hyping things up and having really positive mindset. So it's been really nice to have less of a, cause I'm a moany cunt and I'm <laughs> negative. So I think hopefully sometimes it's like yin and yang. Mate, I'm your full time hype man. <laughs> 2D and TD. Yeah, so, that's, it. that's it, 2D and TD. complex. So I'm just going to stop recording now. So thanks so much for spending the time and the effort. Big ups, man. Nah, bro, thank you so much, man. I've really enjoyed it. I genuinely, I really enjoyed it because it's just reinstilled. It's so nice to talk about this place and space and like subject matter. Um, so yeah, man, big ups and thanks for having us, dude. Boom. What a way to finish it up. Smash. So that's episode 67 of Toy Division, done and dusted, out the door, been posted via Carrier Pigeon. If you're finding something beneficial or you're enjoying these episodes, please share it with someone else. That's how more people can listen 
and get on the toy division vibe. And I don't like the word vibe, but we're all about helping physical, mental health issues become normalized and realizing that this wonderful culture of ours has um, many people who are finding things difficult. So let's normalize mental health. Also, finally, big reveal, finally got our asses in gear and created a Patreon. So the Patreon link is in the show notes. Um, but if you can't bother to read the show notes, it's www.patreon.com forward slash toy division podcast. And yeah, go and have a look at it. And there's various ways in which you can support this podcast. Anyone that supports is obviously keeping this stuff going. And there's some exclusive content on there. Um, most of the focus is further expanding on all the mental health stuff. So I'm pleased we finally got it done. Anyway, I've gibbered on for fucking ages. Peace out, Toy Division. <laughs>